0: I think the biggest learning for me though has been about you know getting a broader perspective. I don't think there's much in life beyond international exposure like this that really can give you that how do you put yourself in somebody else's shoes how do you take a perspective because you don't have full visibility of a situation or you don't understand the history of a a situation and so i think that's been the the biggest learning for me personally is how can you take a a broader perspective and deliberately Mm. pause and try and consider that perspective and i think it's probably made me a better person and a better business leader from learning that along the way Welcome to the World-Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world-class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high-performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high-performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience.
1: Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leaders Show. And today, as a first guest of 2023, I have Renee McGowan. So Renee is based in Dubai, is the Mercer's president, Asia, Middle East and Africa, leading Mercer's business across 15 plus markets. She's also chairperson of Mercer in Japan and executive director of Mercer boards in China and Hong Kong. René has held several key leadership roles in her career at Mercer, previously based in New York, was a global leader for individual wealth, before that chief customer marketing officer for Mercer for the Pacific region. In 2017 and 18, René also led Mercer's partnership with the World Economic Forum on the Retirement Investment Systems Reform Project, recently collaborating with the World Economic Forum and the OECD on a Singapore symposium related to multi-generational workforces. She is also a regular speaker at major international forums and contributor to international media, including WEF, Brink, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Sound, China Morning Post, and many others, including the BBC and CNBC. Renee also was named one of the employee benefit advisor 2018 top women in benefit advising United States, which recognizes industry leaders who are transforming the field. For two consecutive years, she was also listed in the top 10 CMOs in Australia, by CMO Magazine. In 2022, she was also named one of the Arabian business 50 inspiring female business leaders. And she was a member of the MEA business group Dubai Business Women Council at Boardroom by Emir. Thank you so much, Renee, for being on the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Andre. I'm really looking forward to our discussion and I love your show a lot.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And as far as I remember, you are the first Australian on the show. So I'm glad actually to have you with me today.
0: Thank you. I think I got that you're very international, but I didn't see any other Australians on there. So
1: exactly right, exactly right. So <laughs> great, great honor having you on the show. Your amazing bio, by the way. So congratulations for your exciting career and the achievement that actually you got until today. I'm sure there are many others on the way. But I have a question: Is how is at the moment, 2023, working for the same organization for so many years. Because you know, we and you work, you know, very close to the workforce. And we'll we'll discuss a bit more about, of course, Mercer and what you do. It's not anymore so usual having someone that stay in an organization for so many years. So, what has been maybe your secret of, of staying with the organization for so long?
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, Andrea. It's getting less common for people to, to work. For many years, or their entire career. I have been with Mercer now for just over twenty years, so it always frightens me when I say that because I still think I'm a lot younger than I am, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think for me personally, um, while I've been, you know, over twenty years with one organisation, I've been given enormous variety of opportunities and challenges to learn and grow. So I've never been pigeonholed at Mercer into to one role. In fact, entirely the opposite. I was given the opportunity to do A number of different roles across strategy, marketing, product, operations, and also to work in a lot of different countries. I started in in London, I worked in Melbourne and in Sydney and Australia, then to New York, to Hong Kong and Dubai. So uh, while it's been a long time with one organization, there has not been a dull moment at all, I'd have to say.
1: No, that's wonderful. And by the way, we share something because I mean, I also work in many different countries, many different yeah. cities across my career. So I think we share this incredible opportunity probably that we both had in terms of meeting really not just new people, but also different cultures, adapting or maybe not adapting to some specific context. So what has been maybe your major learning about working and leading you know, people in different countries and different cultures, if there is any?
0: There's an enormous number we could hold a whole whole show. Yeah, on maybe that we
1: will not th- sure all I you about think,
0: that. <laughs> as you know yourself, for me, it's truly exciting to have that type of diversity. To be learning about different cultures, different languages, different ways of doing business, how you can be successful in different social environments and and business environments as well. I think the biggest learning for me though has been about getting a broader perspective. I don't think there's much in life beyond international exposure like this that really can give you that, how do you put yourself in somebody else's shoes? How do you take a perspective because you don't have full visibility of a situation or you don't understand the history of a a situation? And so I think that's been the the biggest learning for me personally is how can you take a a broader perspective and deliberately Mm. pause and try and consider that perspective? And I think it's, you know, probably made me a better person and a better business leader from learning that along the way.
1: And it's a massive learning because, you know, most of my work, actually, when we start working with people and leaders is about mindset change. And and very few people really understand that our performance, so our actions are correlated 100% to how we see the world. And if, until we don't understand why people do what they do, that would be super difficult to ask them to do anything different than what they're already doing, right? So yeah, understanding the other perspective is key.
0: I agree and you you know it forces you to stop and listen so you, even if you think you might be able to see an answer or you might be able to see the way that something has to done you really have to pause and stop and to listen and make sure that you're really you know learning and understanding you know what what is a different perspective rather than putting your own judgment in there which might be based on on something that's not relevant
1: 100% right 100% great so these couple of questions were just really out of my curiosity, but I think <laughs> we're going to come back to this, especially when in terms of learning and, and maybe also challenges, right? And dealing in different sure. situations. Yeah. And that leads me maybe to the next point, because you, are, you have a very senior leadership role for a large organization that also operates in a very, very different context and domain and different countries, different cultures. So, But before getting to that, because I'm curious about how you are taking your leadership into this context. So would you like to tell us a bit more about Mercer? I mean, it's a global company. Many people know it, but maybe just in a snapshot, what the company does and also what is the future of the company?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll give you a, a quick snapshot. Mercer is actually part of the Marsh McLennan group of businesses. And really, we work with clients all around the world in three key areas, in risk, in strategy and people. So the four businesses that we have are Mercer, Marsh, Oliver Wyman and Guy Carpenter. Mercer really works on the people and the people strategy components of that. So we get to advise organisations all around the world on everything to do with their people. How do you structure an organisation for growth? How do you make sure you've got the right roles, the right skills? How are people rewarded for their performance? And then we also help them to make sure that their work environment is attractive. Do you have the right employee experience, the right benefit programs that are in place, the right retirement savings and investment plans? And then from that, we've also grown quite a large investments business, uh, really helping investors around the world with both pension and non-pension savings as well. So, Mercer in itself is a hugely diverse business and then part of Marsh McLennan, which is more diverse again. So it's a really exciting opportunity, I think, to work with clients in in a whole range of different areas.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I think as we look forward, you know, the challenges that we have around the world, you know, in terms of so much uncertainty, so much change happening in the way that we live and work means that Mercer is more in demand than ever before with our clients. So we're working with clients at the moment on some really interesting innovation, if you like, in changes to the way that we'll work, the way that we think about jobs, the way that we think about skills. And I think we're at this really pivotal time that means that it's a pretty exciting future, both for Mercer and also for most organisations around the world who are working through these things as well.
1: And I think you're right. I mean, the 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 pace of change, especially in terms of the people side of the business, I mean, actually it's affecting all areas. So certainly you're involving strategies. So that's one of the most interesting things maybe to to do today with clients, helping them devise the right strategy, but also about what they need to change in terms of people, how to retain talents, how to keep making sure that they keep relevance in a business where there is a, a war of talents where it's difficult to find the talents. So I'm sure there is an element of of that in your strategy. But think about the future, I mean, before actually chatting with you, René, I was thinking, what could be the future for a large organization like Mercer where everything has been done or set or things are already going well? I mean, the question really is, is there any kind of a plateau or even a large organization, as I'm sure he has, a big vision for the future. What else, in other words, is coming for Mercer in your opinion?
0: Yeah, definitely no plateau (laughs) insight, And we will continue to change and to grow and evolve to work with our clients on their issues. So that's why I'm so confident there's no plateau because I know through working with clients every day that business issues are evolving at an even faster rate than ever before. So a few examples there. I mentioned before jobs and skills. I mean, the way that we're thinking about work, and I'm not talking here about flexible working, are we in the office or not, but thinking about jobs, do you define a role or do you define a skill set that is required for specific tasks? How do you structure organisations around skills rather than roles? You know, they're big issues that companies are grappling with and that will need to continue to grow and change over coming years. Also, thinking about the way companies manage their employees. You know, so many organizations have now thousands of employees. If they don't have thousands, then they have smaller employees who have the same demands or expectations from their employer as well. So, how do you make sure you've got efficient management of benefit plans, that you've got competitive healthcare plans in place, that you're helping employees with retirement savings. How do you do all that in an efficient way that is attractive for your employee base? That is all in demand. And then I mentioned investments as well. So we've grown from being one of the world's leading retirement actuaries to also being one of the world's leading investment advisors and advising on now over 17 trillion of assets. Now, as our investment markets are increasingly volatile around the world, but we also have very large asset pools, you know, this is becoming increasingly complex for both organisations and institutions to manage and also to govern because the governance requirements are increasing dramatically. So all of these things are, I think, pretty diverse examples of where MRSA is spending time with clients and where we will continue to be working with clients to solve those issues into the future.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And by the way, back to one point that you made before. Uh, actually, a couple of observations, really. So one is, we had on the show a few weeks ago, Caroline De So the, the author is Senior Parham McKinsey, the author of CEO Excellence. And we actually discussed about the difference of skills and roles in organizations. The great successful leaders and CEOs in this case, they think about skills of the future, not think about the roles of the future. And that I think is very important considering not only the uncertainty, but what people saying right now is the typical question is what's going to be the, I'm sure it's a question that you have been asked yourself is what kind of skills we need in the future, right? So that is really the question today.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And it's not just organizations that are grappling with it. So governments around the world are also grappling with it. We work with government bodies in, you know, everywhere from Singapore to Saudi Arabia helping them to think about the skills that they will need from a social perspective going forward and even in their own government departments. And then you've got organizations doing the same. And very quickly, it starts to unpack a whole pile of things you need to think through, not just skills, but how do skills evolve into careers? How do you actually, do you pay for skills? Do you pay for roles? All of those things are changing quite dramatically. And there's a lot of different people working on them. But I think we're still in our infancy of what we'll see over coming years.
1: Yes, I agree. And by the way, you that's very good transition to the next question about your role right now because I'm quite familiar with the situation in Dubai, for example. in Dubai, we have seen the last one or two years, probably the last year, really, a lot of changes in terms of workforce, you know, in terms of insurances, pension payments. So there are a lot of changes. And I suppose that's something quite ordinary right now in those growing countries, you know, the countries they are growing, they are setting new rules as we speak and new policies. So you are leading some of the most interesting countries, you know, because from Africa to Middle East and to Asia. So by the way, very diverse, very different context. It also, I suppose the level of maturity about these things is also very different. So okay. tell me more about your role right now and what is, you know, really in your mind for 2023.
0: Yeah, well, you touched on all of the key things there. So Asia, Middle East and Africa is an enormous uh, region and there aren't a lot of similarities there really. The reason that we grouped them geographically at Mercer was really because they're all united by growth. So for us, all of the markets that we operate in across that region are high growth and we wanted to make sure that we're investing in making sure that that high growth was also sustainable growth but then also making sure that we're accelerating the investment into our people that we will need in those regions so that we have the best expertise there delivering that advice to clients. So that's where we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years. And it's the the reason that we've put this large region together. And it's a privilege uh, to be leading it. I love it. It's an enormously diverse portfolio. Um, but that has more benefits than downside, to be frank, because of the diversity that's in there in the portfolio. There'll always be some markets that have some challenges while others are, are doing strongly. You know, China obviously has got some real challenges right at the moment with still going on with COVID. As a region, we're supported then by strong growth that we're seeing in other parts of, you know, India, Middle East, et cetera. So from a portfolio perspective, it works very well. And I think for me, the piece that I, I love the most is that I'm really passionate about growth. All of these are high growth and I, I do desperately want them to be sustainable and then they are proving to be sustainable. But for me, growth isn't just about business growth. I touched on people. Really, there's three areas. For me, the business growth is important. We're part of a publicly listed company. We want to be growing well and sustainably and profitably. And we're doing that in every one of the markets that we operate in. But growth is also about our colleagues. Uh, How do we invest in accelerating that talent that is needed in the future, needed by our organisation, but also needed in the the local communities that we live and work in? Um, And then growth is also about those local communities. Are we doing good work, doing the right work um, with clients, institutions, uh, organisations in our local communities so that we're helping them to grow uh, and develop and have better conditions also so it's an exciting spot to be a huge amount of, of diversity. There's never a dull moment, but it's it's a wonderful role to have.
1: I'm sure the, the learning experience, I think, is going to be just tremendous for you. So I love that. Now, how did you, from a personal standpoint, so how is really leading such a diverse pool of countries, organizations, institutions, cultures? So what did you change, if you change anything in your leadership, I mean, based on maybe previous roles. So in other words, what has been your major learning in terms of leadership?
0: Sure. I expect like most people that you've interviewed, I'm going to mention team first. How do you surround yourself with the strongest team of the brightest, most capable people who know things different to what you know, who have expertise different to your expertise? So that's the biggest learning probably of my career. But coming into this role was the area that you focus on very first. If you're managing such a large, diverse region and diverse portfolio, you need to have really strong leaders all across those businesses to make sure that they're growing, they're in control, and that you can trust and let people get on with running the day to day. So that has been where I've spent most of my time is with the team, if you like and making sure that we've got a strong team of diverse talent. Uh, so looking at people that know local markets, local expertise, also with a global mindset, and can also be pushing and challenging a global organisation saying, hey, we see this trend here locally. Yes, it might not be the biggest thing for you right now, but I need you to acknowledge and see it. So team is is absolutely it. And then I think the other thing is then once you, you get that team is, really getting everybody united around being bold. How do you think about what you should build this organization to be over coming years? How do you leave the organization stronger, better, more equipped for the future than when you took it on, ready for the next person who might take over as well? So that's where we've been focused over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So We have spoken so far in terms more about the opportunities and learning and leadership and all the positive things. But would you mind maybe sharing also some challenges, maybe that you're facing in a role like that, either from your personal standpoint or from a business standpoint? So it's really up to you. But tell us a bit more about the challenge that you are facing right now.
0: Well, the challenges for me as CEO are similar to our clients. So if I talk first from a business and macro perspective, I mean, the huge challenge that we have, and even now going into 2023, it's another year of it, but the huge challenge is the uncertainty and the volatility that exists Mm -hmm. in your external environment. I think we've experienced over the last couple of years, and I expect 2023 to be similar, almost unprecedented levels of geopolitical volatility, financial market volatility. We've now got uh, high inflation rates in many markets around the world. We get looming uh, discussion and risks of recession coming in 2023. So there's an enormous amount of uncertainty. And so for me, the challenge is how do you manage really diverse uh, region, lots of different markets that have their own uh, different uh, nuances and climates? How do you manage that in, in the uncertainty so that you're growing at a sustainable high growth rate? You're protecting your people, advising your clients, but also protecting the business in the event that that uncertainty becomes worse or that changes in a way that you might not have been able to predict. For me, that means a few things. Scenario planning has become par for the course. We <laughs> talk about in when the pandemic started at first in Asia, and I remember it was in January 2020, we did our first scenario plan for COVID. It was still only then in China. It was starting to emerge to parts of Asia. This was early in January 2020. But that scenario plan that we did there helped us enormously uh, that year because we put in place changes by the end of January, and this was before it became a global issue as well. But scenario planning is now part of the course and something that we do and constantly look at what levers we would pull in the event of, of certain changes. And then also spending uh, more time in market with clients and more time with our colleagues is really important as well. So we need to be, make sure that we're always on top of our clients' issues are, and they vary by industry sector and, and country and so on. And then also making sure that our people are really engaged in the work that they're doing, because that's the great anomaly. I think that's the perhaps the biggest challenge is that we have all of this external market volatility at the moment. But we have the tightest labor markets that we've experienced in years. It's sort of a paradox, if you like, that I think many leaders haven't had to deal with before. And it's not showing any sign of changing quickly either. So I think it's really important to be able to manage that uncertainty, but also make sure that you're doing everything that you can to be constantly attracting, retaining, and developing key talent.
1: Yeah. So I'm quite curious about one thing that you mentioned, Liberia, in terms of scenario planning. So Scenario planning, of course, as far as I understand it, works in both ways for you and for your organization, but also for your clients based on able to react to all the changes that are happening as we speak. I'm curious because one of the challenges that I'm thinking right now that a leader can have in that situation is how dealing with all these necessary changes that need to happen in a very, very quick time. And you have to deal with this, but sometimes maybe organizations, at least that's my experience, especially during COVID, they weren't really prepared of themselves first to make these changes, to apply these changes. When you do for your organization is a problem, but then when you do it for your clients too, you need to advise them how to deal with these changes. And maybe you haven't been through it yet about the same scenario. So I'm curious, how are you dealing with this? changes? I mean, is just the scenario planning helping you to deal with that? Or there is something more that you have to apply as a leader in order to make sure that you're on top of the changes, you know what to advise the client for, and so forth?
0: Yeah, look, scenario planning, it's easy for me to talk about it for our business, because that's what we know and and understand. So that's almost easy, if you like. And we're well versed at it now, as most organizations are. Understanding clients' issues, though, is far more significant because every client's business is different. There are always some commonalities in individual countries, there's some commonalities in perhaps industries, if you like. Every business challenge is, is different. But that's the core of consulting, if you like, is really understanding your clients' issues and business. Mm-hmm and really helping them to get perspective to be able to make the right decisions as well. So I think over the last year or so, and as we go forward, Mercer has certainly focused more on industries as well, because we've found more commonality of industry challenges for some of our clients. And of course, clients like to know what's happening in their specific industry as well. But we've focused really heavily on the growth of our colleagues And this is this accelerated development of our people that I was talking about before. So we've invested over the last few years in more talent development programs, in far more training programs. We've invested in leadership development programs, as well as all of the core skills that consultants need of how do you really understand your client's issues so that you can provide that issue-based advice. And so that's the way that we're managing it. I certainly can't understand every one of our clients' issues. That's why we have thousands of fabulous consultants around the world. But it's, I think, what makes consulting so fantastically interesting as well.
1: No, I agree. And actually, you gave us the best answer possible is that. So that's the nature of consulting. That's what great consultants do. They mm-hmm. don't need to know what's going on maybe in the organization, but need to come up with ideas and advice based on what they're learning along the way. Yep. So that's great. Now, a little bit more personal level, what are your personal challenges leading in organizations, you know, with that level of diversity and ability and needs as well to understand changes, coping with changes? So what's really keeping you at night? Hopefully not, but... (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, you're not, no, you're WMC, I, yeah, I sleep well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> be assured. I wouldn't sleep well, though, if I didn't have a fabulous team. And I think that gets back to the core of having a really strong team and really strong people and a really strong culture in your organization. But I guess if we talk personally about it, the things that I'm very conscious of in terms of leadership now as we go forward is probably sort of three areas. The first is always being calm and considered. You know, I've read over 15 different countries, they all have their issues. Some of them are, you know, more hotspot, if you would like, by a global standard or for a multinational company. So always being calm and considered in response because the way I react obviously has a multiplier effect for everybody around me. So that's really important. The other one is sort of where we started our podcast conversation was around perspectives. So always being open to a different perspective. You know, it's very easy to jump to a a quick decision and sometimes you need to do that. But often it's good to pause even briefly to make sure that you've really considered different perspectives. And I think what I've learned to do more of is to reach out to people that I know will give that I already know think differently to me, that I don't necessarily agree with sometimes or anything, but reaching out to people that will give a different perspective. The third thing, which I guess is is the personal element, is to manage your energy. The jobs we do, we're passionate about it. You can tell I'm passionate about my role and, and love it, but you do have to manage your energy because you want to show up every day and be your best and everybody needs you uh, to do that as well. So you have to be careful to manage your energy, to look after yourself to take the time out that you need, because if you don't, you don't make good decisions either.
1: Yeah. I love the the final point, particularly because, I mean, you are 100% right. I mean, people see your energy. They feel it. Even when you don't talk, it just, you know, especially right now when I'm supposed you're still having a lot of online meetings. So energy is really, really incredible, either motivating factor or maybe the contrary, right? Sometimes mm actually affects people in a way that we don't think about it so i think it's great so what do you do in terms of your making sure that you keep a very high level of energy it's something that you do in your routine so it's something that you consciously think about before talking to others so in other words is a kind of a natural energy that comes out of you or it's a little bit more thoughtful in a way how you you Uh, produce these energies
0: Pretty natural. I do run on a <laughs> I do run on a, a high speed most of the time, but I do slow down, but the batteries do run out at at some point, like for anybody else. <laughs> I think for me, I do really deliberately try and focus on positive energy as well. I mean, every day could be negative if you wanted to look at it. You know, everything is your frame of of reference and the way you want to think about it. So, you know, really deliberately pausing and trying to make sure that you're being positive, that the glass is, is half full is something that I do do because it gets back to this multiplier effect. Again, it can be a positive thing, or as you said, it can be a negative thing. And, you know, perhaps a negative flippant comment or a roll of the eyes or something might not be noticeable to me, but others would notice it as well. And it would impact them negatively. So I think I pause and try and make sure that considered in that positive energy, which also makes the day a lot more fun, frankly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Okay, great. So, you know, you shared actually great ideas, great insights about your leadership and your challenges, both from a business perspective, but also from a personal standpoint. What many people don't know about being in your role? I mean, I speak with CEOs and like you all day long, either clients Mm -hmm. or in a podcast. And it's quite interesting. The fact that, at least my observation is that What people see most of the time in the surface is very different than what really happens behind the scene. One of the reasons is just what you describe. You know, you need to show positive energy, you need to show that you are listening to people, you're listening to their perspective, you are there for them, in other words, which is great in terms of leadership. But behind the scene, we have our own thoughts, we have our own doubts sometimes, our own challenges. So the life of a CEO of someone that has a, such a huge responsibility you know, for an organization is very different what people see in the mm-hmm. foreground, if you like. So what is your view about that? What is happening behind your scene right now that maybe people don't know about you and or about being a president or CEO in an organization like Mercer?
0: Sure. I think probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that a CEO knows it all. But obviously, when you're running a large business with thousands of people and you are positive about the business, which I certainly am, you know, it's probably this natural expectation that everybody has that that you know what is next. Now, you know what your strategic direction is and you know what the business opportunities are for the medium and the, the longer term, but there is so much that you don't know. So a lot of what people don't see, I guess, in this role is sitting down and really trying to think through issues where there is no answer that's there. Because by the time a problem gets to a senior level, a lot of people have had a go at solving for it already. <laughs> and a lot of bright people have you know, put in suggestions and everything as well. So I think a lot of time for CEOs is really taken to be considered in all of that to make sure that we're either guiding towards the right decision or helping the business to make the decision or making it definitively if it needs to be made quickly as well. And that isn't visible for most people. You know, there's a lot of talk about the role of a CEO being sort of a bit lonely or isolating. It, It could be, and sometimes on occasion is, but also you need to know who you can reach out to, to talk through some different issues. It's not just one or two people that are your your confidants, you need to have a group of diverse people that, you know, you can draw on for specific guidance. Hey, this is broadly the issue. I'm interested in what your perspective is. And if you have good people around the world like that, that you trust, it makes that decision making much easier too.
1: And it's wonderful what you shared actually, because one of the things that I realized myself is many people in your, in your place actually, they are desperate, sometimes desperate looking for that level of insights or advice from people they've been maybe in your shoes or they they're having the same role. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to have that, that level of support internally, especially mm-hmm. for let's say medium-sized organization, for a large organization like Mercer. And I expect of course there is a lot of opportunities to talk about, you know, these challenges with other peers, you know, in your role. But, you know, for a medium, large organization, um, it's difficult. That's one man maybe leading, you know, all the show. And that's why, for example, and that's good that we discussed, you know, we are building also a peer advisory CEO group right now to make sure people can really share their experiences and feel open to say what they think and to get advice from people they've been maybe facing the same challenges. So I love that. I think it's super important, you know, either is internal or external, but having this sort of advisory group, someone helping you. Now going through that, that's great. I have a question about one point that you made a little bit earlier is, and I do agree, you know, it's people expect that you have always an answer or able to make a decision based on problems. I know that is an expectation. So either it's right or wrong, but it's an expectation. How are you dealing with that, you know, from your personal leadership, you when you don't have an answer right now, but you know people are expecting an answer, right? Mm-hmm. You have a sort of kind of a process that you normally apply, or it's really based on circumstances? What is your approach in terms of decision making?
0: Yeah, I have a style that's very open and transparent. So I actually say it all about, okay, you know, great. our town halls or our all employee meetings is please ask me any question. If I know the answer, I'll tell you the answer. And if I don't know the answer, then we'll go away and try and figure it out and come back to you. And I'll tell you that I don't know the answer there. So that's the style and that's kind of the culture that we're trying to create that actually some answers we know and some problems we don't have an answer for, but we're probably going to have to work through them and it's going to take more than than one person. And I think that's been helpful for me as a leader as well to sort of have that as an ethos, if you like, that people know. And that's exactly what you have to do is you have to be clear if you don't have the answer. You know, the old day of a very hierarchical structure where somebody senior sits at the top and has all the answers. I mean, that doesn't exist. World is far more complex than that. So be clear and upfront when you don't have the answer and then be clear and upfront when you need other people to also come to the table and help to solve for it. And so I'll usually, I'll usually state that and I'll usually perhaps ask specific people then to come and and work on it. And if there is time that I need, because I do find sometimes I need reflection, you know, I do take the occasional, I'll sleep on it and I don't sleep on it for 30 days, but I'll sleep on it for a night just to make sure (laughs) (laughs) that I'm comfortable with the decision before we move forward the next morning as well.
1: Wonderful. And by the way, I love that level of openness and transparency and vulnerability that you are showing you know, in front of all your people. That's great. That's a great sign of leadership. So well done to you. We discussed already about the learning of your career. So I think we have covered that the last couple of very quick questions for a quick answer are, is there anything that you would have maybe done different in your career?
0: So many things <laughs> <laughs> there's too many to list, but I don't actually have regrets and I wouldn't go back and change them. So it's all with the benefit of hindsight and if I hadn't made the mistakes that I wouldn't have learned and grown along the way so nothing catastrophic that I would have done differently, but a lot of things that have helped me to be different <laughs> as I've gone forward
1: and I love that and that's one of the the findings of many other conversation I had on this podcast is actually yeah. the same. So I love that. And by the way, the fact that probably you don't remember anything specific or nothing really stands out just because you know our things are just They were supposed to happen. So that's why you are where you are right now. So I agree with you. And finally, what is your approach to learning? So you have, um, I don't know, are you a book reader or you learn in a different, using different platforms, different ways? So I'm really curious about, and by the way, what's your approach to learning? So it's something that it's part of your life. So just a few words about that. That would be great.
0: I'm an experiential learner. So I learn through experiences and I learn through engaging with others. That's where the bulk of of my learning comes from. So I love meeting new people. I love trying new things or new forums or things because that's the way I learn the most. I do read, obviously, enormously to complement all of that. I would say with a leaning towards probably more current and world affairs as opposed to theoretical management or business. I have a specific interest also in making sure that, you know, as a leader that you're relevant and you're making sure your organization's relevant. So I have some specific topics that I think are of interest that I study in my own right. So the metaverse is one of them at the moment. And that's just a little hobby to study on the side to think about what are going to be the implications from a business or social perspective with those types of trends.
1: Which is very, very important, I suppose, for for your role and, and the future of Mercer, I suppose, the metaverse. Yeah, that's great. Is there any specific book that you would like to recommend to the audience just because it changed your perspective, your life, maybe your career? Is there anything to mention?
0: Yeah. Two that I think obviously Carol Dwork's mindset Mm -hmm. is there. So that growth versus fixed mindset, I just think is critical for life. And then the other one also well-known thinking fast and slow. I think that system one and system two thinking there is just really important to be cognizant of. And that probably impacted more from a professional perspective as well.
1: It's funny. It's the most recommended book on this podcast. Is it? Yeah, which is great. And it's, by the way, it's quite complicated reading. It's not necessarily an easy one.
0: It is. And there are actually some, I've done some courses along the way where they integrate that system one and system two thinking into practical application, which is actually really interesting as well, because there is a lot of complexity in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, very interesting. Great, Renee. That was amazing. So where people should go if they want to know more about either you or your organization?
0: Sure. So certainly our website, mercer.com. will have all the information about our organization and anybody can contact me via my LinkedIn profile, Renee McGow, and I'm happy to connect with you.
1: Wonderful. Well, Renee, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think it was great. And by the way, I really appreciate your honesty and transparency because that's he's all about
0: Pleasure thank you so much for having me really enjoyed it.